What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the PropG Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of PropG Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome in to another one of our live call-in show shows, which some people want to call the mainline, M-A-N-E-L-I-N-E. Maybe we'll just call it the Twitter Spaces show. I don't know. We're still working that. Uh, but my name is Jeremy Reisman. I'm the producer of Pride of Detroit. You can find me at Detroit Online. With me, as always, here answering your calls, live calls here on Twitter Spaces. Let's go to Eric Schlitt first. He is, of course, the managing editor and the machine. And you can find him at Eric Schlitt on Twitter. How are we doing today, buddy? Uh, hey, Jeremy, you should check Slack. <laughs> Oh, no. Did he just drop out? All right, I'm back. Oh, hey. But I'm back now. Like, it immediately dropped me. Like, as soon as Jeremy said, let's start the show, it immediately dropped me. Can you hear me now? He can't hear me, can he? He's definitely can't hear me. I thought he could hear you for a second, but like he could only hear me now. Nope. Yep, that's right. I'm gonna I'm yep. gonna have to leave and join. That's <laughs> all right. right. That's exactly right. Great. Well, we're gonna start this one all over again. <laughs> ah, technology. Man, I'm glad they have all this ironed out. Uh, like, <laughs> what you know, happened there, though? I don't know, but the, it was he so must. Fun. It was it was as soon as you started your <laughs> intro. It's like he goes, is Jeremy talking now? I can't hear anything. <laughs> oh, Lord. All right. Well, this this is good. This is exactly what this show needs. The the show that drags on an hour and a half longer than it should. <laughs> just more with, delays. Just with 20 minutes of nothing to top at the top. Can I, I'm, can I make him a co-host or can you only do that? I don't know. I just sent the request. So, Okay. <clears throat> Well, appreciate everybody's patience. I hopefully won't have to sit here for a full yeah. half hour while we get everything ironed out. This is the dumbest thing I've ever been part of right now. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do? I did nothing. Nothing. I don't believe you. It's, you you uh, must have I, I did got, exactly what you just said. You attached to your little I got a Wi-Fi buffering. extender. I got a buffering. It might have. It may have. It may have switched over or something. Um, but well, yeah, it we, said. How do we ensure it doesn't do that in the middle of the show? Well, I just switched it. I switched it when I shut off. So I'm like, where when I logged off, I just switched over to make sure that I'm the Wi-Fi extender is like right next to my where I'm at. So I just switched over, and I was like, okay, cool. Now we shouldn't hopefully shouldn't have that problem. But this is the dumbest thing. I'm, I'm <laughs> it said buffering, and then like dropped me. So all right. all right, so let's. All right, we're ready though. I guess are we right? I don't know. We'll see. All right, I'm gonna was, try again. I nailed the intro too, so like now I'm destined to to screw this I, one up. I absolutely do not believe that, <laughs> Ryan. Tell him. What? You're gonna Hi, lie to I'm him. here. What? <laughs> what did he say? Sorry, I, I went in. I went in. Teddy, real quick. All right, never mind. <laughs> it doesn't Sorry. matter. I'm just ready to go. Can no, yeah. Go? Let, okay, we're gonna go. We're gonna go. Dan gave me a hundred. See, he believes in me. All right, here we go. Can't, can't we all just do a podcast together? Uh, clearly not. 
And welcome back to another one of our episodes of the Twitter Spaces call-in show slash mainline, M-A-N-E-L-I-N-E show, whatever we're going to call it. Uh, this is a live call-in show where we join, we welcome a lot of people here Saturday mornings to answer your questions live, very much like a radio call-in show on Twitter Spaces. My name is Jeremy Reisman. I'm the producer over at Pride of Detroit. You can find me at Detroit Online. With me as always, this time, I'm going to throw it. To our senior editor, you may know him as the Rock God or at Ryan underscore POD on Twitter. Ryan Matthews is here. How are we doing, Ryan? Eric, is Jeremy talking? <laughs> Shut I'm up. kidding. I can hear you. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> no, uh, I'm good. I'm good. You know what? I, I, I appreciate your intros because I'm always just brought back to Casey Kasem. <laughs> I, I like that you think I have that cadence. That's, a, that's actually a very high compliment. You're welcome. Let's start the show off right. Let's bring right. Eric in and make sure that he's here. That's a good uh, idea. Let's let's do it. He is, of course, the machine. He is, of course, the managing editor of Pride of Detroit and at Eric Schlitt on Twitter. Eric Schlitt is here, I think. How are we doing? I am here with my uh, Dennis Miller cadence and all. I'm ready to go. <laughs> Ooh, make some weird esoteric analogies, can you? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try. I will work okay. it in if I can. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. All right. Uh, because we've been messing around technology-wise for 20 minutes almost, we're just going to jump right into it um, and our, our line of callers here. So let's start with JC, who has been waiting extremely patiently as we work through all of our technology issues. JC, are you there? It still says you're connecting. There we go. JC, welcome to the show, man. There, there we go. Yep, oh. I can hear you. Okay. New technology. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just um, there's been a lot of talk about some cornerbacks out there. Uh, Horn, Xavier Howard, um, Johnson from Chicago or Jackson from Chicago. Um, I just wanted to hear what your maybe top two choices are and what the pros and cons are might be on like wages and fits of our players. Because um, I personally kind of like the Horn idea, although I don't know how possible that even is. But I uh, was wondering what you guys, you guys thought about it. Yeah, no, good question. I, I mean, obviously, I think cornerback is on everyone's mind. And there's so many different routes that, that the Lions can take, whether it is, you know, trading for a guy like J.C. Horn, who's entering the final year of his deal. Um, Xavier, Xavier Howard, as you mentioned, uh, is expecting you to get released at the beginning of uh, the new league year. Do you go big and go for a Jalen Johnson, a young guy that that can solve your problem? You know, long term, do you go and get a, a veteran for one or two years and draft a guy that you can develop behind him? I don't know, guys. Is there is there a specific route that, that you particularly like, whether it's a philosophy or an individual player that you might like? I'll, I'll go to Ryan first. What do you think? Yeah, I, I'm kind of torn on the approach to corner a little bit just because I, I, I mean, I, I know there are a lot of names that are interesting that Eric can talk about that that are kind of slotted there in that 29 area for, for Detroit. Um, but again, like 29, like mock drafting for 29 is new experience for all of us. Right. Like I know, I know the lions had the Rams pick uh, after they won the super bowl, but that quickly just turned into <laughs> Jameson Williams, you know? So like it, it's, it's going to be interesting to see whether or not Holmes lets the draft come to him. And if corner is going to be like a top priority at 29 or if it'll be, you know, a different position, but I I have to think that there is an opportunity for Holmes to to maybe not press for a need like corner where maybe it could be addressed in, in round two or maybe even in round three on, on day two. Um, but 
I, I feel like there's an opportunity in free agency. Like I feel like we, we brought up some guys that are interesting names that could at least fill a role for a year or two while Holmes gets someone else in the door to bring along slowly. Right. Like I, I, I think we all know and we can all agree that this Lions staff is not going to bring in a cornerback necessarily um, and, and force them into a starting role. And, and if that's what they need to be, um, I, I think that Holmes and, and, and Dan are going to come up with a, a plan to bring that guy along slowly rather than force him into a position that honestly, like I, I don't, I don't think that, you know, they, they would put a guy in that spot. Um, and I think we've seen that before. Like we've seen them bring Jack Campbell along slowly, right. In the preseason. Um, you know, he was, he was playing all the games in the preseason. Um, but with corner, you know, whether it's Gilmore, um, or, you know, I, I like Chidobia Wuzier. Like, I, I think there are options that Brad could almost bandage that spot with a player who brings a respectable level of talent to a starter position. And then maybe takes a, you know, takes a shot on a corner or maybe even two corners um, later on in the draft. Or maybe even takes one at 29 and still does the same thing. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I, I agree that there needs to be an investment that goes beyond uh, free agency uh, into the draft. Um, they, they need some developmental talent, whether that talent is going to challenge for a starting role or you know a developmental role. I, it doesn't matter to me. I, I, they just need a infection of youth into that secondary that they can work towards developing. And if they take one at 29 and then that player at 29 uh, doesn't start and takes the Jack Campbell route, that's fine. That's fine. I'm like, completely no okay with that. that. Right? There's Absolutely no not. And yeah. they and, and they and they showed with Jack Campbell that they're willing to to do that. No, no pick is going to be guaranteed a starting spot, especially with the roster that they have uh, currently. So, I'm okay investing a uh, the first round pick. I'm okay investing second, third, whatever it takes to to add some more youth to the position. At the same time, if you because you're in that Super Bowl window, you do need an established veteran to also come in and compete. So if you want to invest in a guy, in some of the top guys, like like a Jalen Johnson, you're going to pay for it. You're going to pay a lot of money to, to try and acquire that guy. And while he's going to give you a very good ta- uh, you know, starting tandem, you still need to invest in you. So like – Adding a guy in free agency and then also spending a top 100 pick on a corner is very much within the range of the game plan that I would like to see happen because that's how much they need to invest into the secondary because it's so thin right now. So I'm okay with the Jalen Johnson. Now, the hard part with Jalen Johnson is that you're going to spend a ton of money on him. The harder parts with some of the guys that are getting released right now and the Stephen Gilmores of the league is, is simply age. At, once you get over 30 in the NFL, you are at risk of just not being able to play at the level that, that you used to. And some For some, it's a slow decline, and for others, it's a rapid decline. And so right now, Stephen Gilmore is on a slow decline, but you don't want him to be on your roster when the rapid part starts, right? Yeah, so when it, when, it, when it falls off a cliff, yeah. I exactly. Yeah. So I would be okay with Stephen Gilmore. If you're drafting a corner like in the first round, I would be comfortable with that. At the same time, I really think I'm starting to settle in on the Awuzie idea. Um, 
he's got he's at the right age of uh, he's at the right age he's at the right um, he'll probably be at the right price compared to like the Jalen Johnsons will probably cost half that and um, and, and the right the, the right term too right like in terms exactly of like you're not talking about a Jalen Johnson deal that's four years five years maybe right mm-hmm. yeah you're talking a couple years like you're, you're basically for a woozy I kind I could see a similar deal to what you got with Cam Sutton right yeah and yep. if you have two versions of cam sutton and then you invest in a high pick then you're going to be okay like you're going to be you're going to be going in the right direction anyway if you spend on johnson you're shoring up the problem very quickly but you're also you have to be very clear on your intentions of how you're spending money and will that money take away from other positions and I, that's why i'm i'm okay with you know adding another contract that's similar to cam, but just not, you know, hoping to get a player that, you know, when you start adding this talent, the unit overall becomes better. Yeah. I wanna, Jeremy, I want to know your thoughts, but can I add a, yeah. a, a, a wrinkle to this question is, sure. does anything that has to do with the salary cap news that came out this week, does yeah. that change your opinion on maybe how aggressive the Lions are at corner in free agency? Well, no, not necessarily because I, I don't know. Like I think, when that news broke, a lot of people are like, wow, now our team is in so much better position. But the, I mean, the reality of it is all 32 teams are in a much better position. <laughs> exactly. Everybody and, benefits. Yes. The, and, and really the only winner, I think, of a move like that is the players. And that's great. Like, they're going to get paid more. The, the, the market goes up because there's more money to play around with. Um, but I think, I think this could impact the Lions quarterback situation in a way that Jalen Johnson could now very much receive the franchise tag, right? The, the Bears already had a lot of move, a lot of uh, money to, to maneuver around with. Now they have a little bit more. Um, and so, I, again, like we're, we're in this kind of early stage of free agency where, you know, our eyes are wide, our, our stomachs are, are, are growling. And um, we're looking at all these guys who, you know, Brian Burns is already, you know, I think there's reports out there that, that he might get the franchise tag. Like all these guys that we think might be available might not end up being available. And I think Jalen Johnson is one of those guys that we're all like, Ooh, that would, that would be really nice. A young player under 25, the Lions have the money to spend, go do it. But I think the, the blueprint that both you guys laid out there, getting kind of an aged veteran to just give this team some sort of stability and, and experience at a position, not that Cam Sutton isn't one of those guys, but getting another one of those guys to pair with a rookie makes a ton of sense to me because it also plays to this regime's strength. They haven't been great in free agency, but they can scout really, really well. And so you you make sure you don't tie yourself up in one of these big long-term contracts, which this regime has actually been very good about. They, they haven't been handing out reckless contracts all that often. I mean, you could say maybe, you know, the Michael Brockers one was a little bit and, and maybe some of the extensions they did, but like with Romeo and Tracy, it's just like, well, those guys had Achilles injuries. It, it's hard to fault them for what the Lions did. So I'm all for these kind of like modest contracts, short-term contracts, get veteran. I mean, it, it's a mutually beneficial situation too, right? Like let's, let's be real. The Lions are a contender. So it, Stephen Gilmore would, would Stefan Gilmore would love to come here. I'm sure. Um, not not only just to play with his brother, but to potentially get another ring. And so I just think like that all matches up really well with, with what this team's strengths are, what they can offer to some of these veteran free agents. I think that's the way to go in terms of just and, – and pick your poison of any of these guys that are 28, 29, 30, 31, whatever it is. Um, get one of those guys in-house, provide some, some stability, and then back it up with 
a, a future guy that isn't going to burn a hole in your in your salary cap. So I, I just think that that all makes too much sense for the Lions not to go that route. What what is Owuzi's um, details? Like, how old is he? Um, is he a free agent right now? I don't really know him that. Yep. Way. Yeah, he is twenty eight. I think he'll be twenty nine before the season starts. Um, he had not an ACL in, ACL in twenty twenty two. Recovered from that in twenty twenty three. He's doing. He's in. A, he had a good, healthy year without any uh, restrictions. He's been an outside corner. He's been. Uh, he's played nickel in the past. He's uh, since he brought him in uh, three years ago, I believe, and he's he's basically outperformed his seven million dollar uh, contract. Now he's estimated to make somewhere between like ten and eleven. Yeah, I think uh, Spielberger's projected contract for him was two years, $23 million, um, maybe like around $14 million guaranteed, which seems like a perfect spot, right? Like it's not too much of a commitment. It's not a Jalen Johnson contract, but it gets you a reliable, dependable guy who, again, like a good run defender too. Like I know we all want to talk about grit and all that stuff, but like it, it seems like that's a good fit. What's his team? The Chargers? No, he played He's the with Bengals the Bengals right, right now. Year, yeah. Bengals, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, started. He played a lot with the Cowboys. Yeah, he's a second round draft pick by them. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for the question, JC. Um, all right, let's move to our next caller here. Uh, Michael B has been waiting. Let's bring him aboard. All right, Michael, welcome to the show. Make sure to unmute yourself. There you go. How's it going? Good morning. How are you? Good. Good. So here's a good question. This is a pre-draft. You're all three invited to talk about your positional groups with Brad Holmes' pre-draft war room. Pick your uh, position groups, and you're going to talk about best player available. All right. So, like, pick our our favorite, like our, our biggest need position group, and then we'll we'll break down some of the guys we like in there. Correct. All right. Where do we want to start, Eric? I don't know. This is a bad question for me because I have like about 20 million people. Like I could take up the whole show by myself. Right. So like, I, I, um, we'll start with the position. Let's okay. Let's start. I mean, start with guard because that's, that's a very obvious okay. one. Right. So you have guard. There's, there's the nice thing about guard is that there's lots of options, right? Yeah. You have, you have guys that are just pure guards. You have guys that are guards who can, um, have some tackle experience. You have guards that, um, have center experience. And so, there's a lot of different uh, varieties of flavors that you can choose from here to, to pick exactly what you want, right? So there's going to be probably, uh, I'm going to guess, like six or seven offensive linemen that are going to go in the first round. And I would be completely comfortable with, with one of them going in. So like, but if, I, if I'm getting my, you know, if I, if I come in and I'm like, okay, these are the two guys that if they're there, you absolutely have to run up. It's um, Fatuanu from Washington and um, Jackson Powers Johnson from Oregon. I think those two guys are the top two interior offensive linemen. And I believe both of them are would fit in from a, from a schematic standpoint and from a, from a mental standpoint. So problem is I don't think either of those guys are going to be there at 29, so you might have to trade up for them. But if I'm picking a like one of those interior guys, those are my top two on my board. Can I can I be Brad Holmes right now for a second? Yeah, yeah, please. Uh, Eric, what do you, what do you think of uh, Zach Frazier though, West Virginia? Yeah, that was DJ uh, Dan Jeremiah's uh, mock. Uh, this week he picked Frazier. Frazier's a guy who has a lot of uh, grit to him. 
Uh, he's going to fit in from a mentality standpoint, four-year wrestler. So um, that, you know, aligns with what the, some of the think, characteristics that the Lions like in the uh, interior guys. If you're ever wondering, like, how much grit he has, he broke his leg um, uh, as the team. They were the, West Virginia was trying to attempt a comeback on the final drive. He broke his leg and they only had one timeout left. So instead of laying on the ground and then coming and having them cart him off and then and then using that timeout, he dragged himself off the field so that the team could save the timeout, which they needed and then won. So and and then he broke his leg in uh I I'm going to he broke his leg November 25th and he's already running uh right now. So this okay. guy is tough and he has that grit mentality. Well, speaking of injured guys and I'm not I'm not just well I am a little bit playing to to the home crowd here but a guy that that I'm fascinated by just because he's been part of such an impressive run blocking offensive line in Michigan for a few years now, Zach Zinter. Um obviously he's coming off the injury that that you know made him miss the the, the whole playoffs but you want to talk about a guy who that's tough. You want to talk about a guy that probably fits what the Lions want to do. Zach Zinner is, 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 I mean, a very fascinating pick here. And it's obviously, it'll be interesting to see where he goes, how ready he'll be in his rookie year. We know the Lions are willing to be patient with their draft picks. We know Brad Holmes is not afraid to draft an injured player. So I'm like, I'm, I'm curious about your guys' thoughts on someone like him, potentially, you know, probably more so a, a day two I don't think he'd slip into day three, but uh, what, what are your thoughts on Zach Zinner? I think the injury is uh, going to cost him because he broke his leg in two different spots. So it's not mm-hmm. wasn't like a clean. It was a clean break, but it was t- two different bones in right. his body uh, that are going to cause him problems. So that's going to hurt his stock a little bit. I actually think it's possible he slides into day three. Um, mm. I wouldn't allow that to happen if I was Brad Holmes. Let me put it that way, because yeah. he was, he was IOL one for me when the season started. And so in my opinion, he's still a top five um, interior line prospect in this class. And the injury is going to impact his draft stock negatively. But again, with you, I, I think he is, he's going to remind you of another other Michigan player, which is Graham Glasgow. Well, he and has, he could be his future replacement, right? Right, like he and, and he's got that mentality. He can play left guard. He can play right guard. I, and, and there's just he's look. Michigan runs a ton of gap, right? And because of all that gap that they run, it, they translate to the NFL easier because the NFL will run a lot of gap, and the Lions run more gap than 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 a lot of teams. And so, if you find offensive linemen that are familiar with gap. Uh, blocking schemes as opposed to zone because most colleges run like a zone blocking scheme. If you find guys that are also versed in some gap, then it's going to help them transition faster. Zach Zinter is one of those guys. Another guy we haven't talked about is Connor Beebe, who is absolutely, it should be on in this conversation as well here. So, um, but Zinter, absolutely. I would be, I wouldn't let him, if he's there in the third round, I would not let him, I would stop his slide. All right, let's tackle one more position, and then we're going to take a break. Um, you want to do edge, defensive tackle? I feel like we already talked corner, even though that was more free agency. Ryan, what are, what are you feeling? I mean, I, I think it makes sense to talk about defensive line. There's okay. just so many question marks uh, along there, but we, we've talked about it in shows past, right? Like, I think I think the Lions would be open to taking just the best player who fits there, and then they can figure out, are they a four man front? Are they a five man front? Are they, are, are they a whatever front, you know? 
Um, so I, I find this one fascinating just because it, it seems like they could really go anywhere in the draft, Eric, when it comes to when it comes to what flavor of defensive linemen they, they really want, right? Certainly, yeah. Aleem McNeil's flexibility gives them a lot of options on, on how they would like to approach this. If they want to keep, like at the beginning of the season, Aleem was playing more three and they had Benito Jones at the nose. And then as the season went on and they shifted their fronts and they went into more man coverage and blitzing, they shifted Aleem back to the nose a little bit more and then had Adewalu at the, at the three. They used more three and three instead of instead of a nose. And, and so... Aleem gives them that flexibility to really do whatever they want. If they want a three technique or nose tackle, the top two guys um, are probably both the Texas guys, right? Um, Byron Murphy, there's a three technique. He he was PFF's best pass rushing interior defensive lineman. And then if you want a, a run defender, uh, Devondre Sweat, their nose tackle, was PFF's number one uh, run stopping uh, interior defender. So like – they literally have these two guys that one of them's the best pass rusher uh, in the in college. The other one's the best run stuffer in in, in college. And depending on how you want to uh, take your approach, both those guys uh, you have a lot of traits that appeal to them. And while there's other guys that also kind of fit into it, those two guys seem to be the best at their respective positions or their respective like talent traits. Um, I think Murphy's probably the better one because you pay for pass rush, right? And so with Aleem's flexibility and, and, and scheme flexibility, I would probably target Murphy uh, earlier. He's um, get 45 pressures uh, at a pass rush, pass rush win rate that was close to 20%. It's, uh, he's got a lot of explosion, and he's somebody that I think would give them an interior pressure presence that they haven't had in, in – really since this regime started. And Jer- Jeremy, where do you, where do you feel like Aleem's best spot is, right? Like Eric talked about the versatility yeah. and, and where they kind of moved him around. Do you get a sense or a feeling like, hey, I, you know, I want a guy like Murphy because I think Aleem is better at, at the nose. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think in an ideal world, he's most impactful as a three-tech, um, but I don't know if we've seen it consistently enough for, for them to believe that's where his best position is. You know, we, I think we all remember that Giants game where he just absolutely took over. Oh, gosh. But, yeah. man, it's just it, – it leaves you wanting more. It leaves you wanting to – But and, and that was kind of his off-season approach, right? Remember, you know, I'll talk about him losing weight. and Best you know, shape of his life. Right. And, and it seemed like maybe he was going to take a huge step in terms of his pass rush, and it never really came. It's not, it's not that he's been bad. I mean, he was a top 10 PFF defensive tackle for, for the entire season. But I think – I think that's what they were hoping for. And so, I mean, the, the stuff that makes it really hard to talk about the, the defensive line is not just this team hasn't established what their base is. It's they have all these young guys, and we don't know from the outside where they stand with the team. We don't, exactly. we, we, we don't know where Broderick Martin is. We don't really know what the plan is with Levi. Is, is he healthy enough where they still have hope he's going to be a significant contributor? And Josh Pascal too, like, what do they view Josh Pascal as? Do do they like him on the edge as as a run stuffer that can set the edge, or do they like him more as an interior pass rusher? Like, there's so many questions about the guys that are already on the roster. It makes it very hard to see what they prioritize, what they're looking for in this offseason, if they are even looking to add interior presence, because there is a possibility they think Broderick Martin and Levi will answer a lot of the questions that they already have. Yeah. One more. I was going to say real quick, I think the thing to underscore here that I think is interesting that may clue us in on what's going on, uh, Brad Holmes 
moves off of a ton of day three picks to move up and get Broderick Martin, who is a nose tackle. Undoubtedly, that's his spot in the NFL. So to, yeah. to back up what you just said, Jeremy, like I, ideally, I think the Lions want a lean at the three tech. They they want him to utilize you know his his bulk and his and his bull rush to to abuse guys at that spot and, and to get into the backfield. So like I think that there's a clue there that like that's yeah. how they wanted things to work out. But Broderick was a bit of a project, and and maybe we'll finally see that this year. Yeah, and and I mean that we know that was the plan at the beginning of last year, right? Like that's yeah, things change, right. so maybe oh, maybe yeah. their their uh, overview has has shifted. But yeah, I think that's a really good point. Like I think that's that's where they saw things headed. Maybe they feel differently now. Just uh, one thing, Tyler Davis, Clemson. You got some thoughts on him, Eric? Uh, sorry, I think I think is Tyler Davis going back to school, or am I thinking of a different guy? Um, no, five year. Um, <clears throat> I don't have a good read on him right now. Um, he's not wasn't really one of my top guys. Um, you know, Clemson tends to roll a lot of guys. Like the 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 Clemson guy I've been looking at is the. Uh, Oh God! I can't, his his uh, Oran Ho Ho or Ho or something like that, like the root guy, um, just because he's a little bit more dynamic, a little bit more position versatile. I didn't really fall in love with a lot of the Clemson guys this year, uh, but I'm still, you know, I'm I'm still digging in on a lot of these guys. So I don't have a strong opinion on him one way or another right now. All right, uh, and with that, <laughs> thanks for the question, Michael. All right, and with that, we're going to take our first break. When we come back, more of your calls here on Twitter Spaces on our – no, I guess I'll start calling it the Mainline Show. We'll be back <laughs> on the Mainline Show. What? <laughs> go ahead. No, go ahead. No, Get I was in here. laughing. I was okay, okay. All right. We'll be right back. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back here on the main line uh, as we take your calls here on Twitter spaces. Let's jump right back into it and bring on our good old pal, Dan Pask. Dan, thanks for waking Hi. up early with us on the, on the West Coast there. True. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, can you hear me? Okay. You're good. 
Okay, let me know if it goes funny and I'll go in the other room. But I, I set my alarm for 5.55 and oh, uh, you know, <laughs> put my coffee on and I want to get my computer to have Ben Raven's first mock-up. And then I come, so I come to your space about four minutes later and I can't wait actually until this finishes and hear the beginning because it's like in true Brad uh, Holmes fashion, I'm going to just jump off what people expect and say, I, I, I called them <laughs> eggs in a basket and I guess there's one-eyed jacks, but like I always think of that scene from V for Vendetta with that breakfast when you know, with the egg and the toast and all that stuff. But I've got no idea why you were talking about it, but it totally threw me <laughs> off my game. The first segment where you wanted three questions, but you just got two. I am not to fault for that. But <laughs> I wanted, I, I had, it's, it's sort of like we talk about coaching trees. And obviously, you know, Dan being from uh, Sean Payton and uh, Bill Parcells before him. And I just want to talk about, you know, GM trees. And, and it feels like, you know, that Brad is from the Les Snead tree because you look at their last, their last draft, the Rams' last draft last year, and they picked Kobe Turner eight picks before we get Broderick Martin. Who knows if that, maybe, maybe uh, Brad was going for Broderick and he couldn't just get high enough to get him do you know what I mean but I totally agree that uh, Aline three three tech you know and and they're going for a nose and just to talk all over the shop why wouldn't why wouldn't Chicago tag Jalen Johnson now they got the extra dosh you know what I mean but my question is this Arizona last year kept picking our players do you know what I mean whether it was Starling Thomas or Trevor Trevor Nowaski and I feel in a little bit now with uh, Craig Newmark going over to Washington that we really have to watch sorry you know but all those those little ones that we that we don't know if they're going to grow, like take three years to get and everything else. I am absolutely in love with Stefan Gilmore coming in and helping doing a Rasheen Mathis and, t- and, and teaching the whole cornerback room as well as whoever they get to hire. Do you know what I mean? But like, it's, um, I guess my question, because then I go back to the Ben Raven uh, mock, there was seven OL plus Turd Ferguson. So like one quarter of the class <laughs> is offensive linemen. And, and, and after us, they've got, he's got Baltimore Ravens getting Graham Barton and the Niners getting Tyler Guyton. And I'm, I'm stealing Greg Cassell's info, you know, because obviously Allegretti and his backup basically just opened the door for Chris Jones a few times to just not uh, brought Purdy over. So it, I, does that mean we should go cornerback instead? Because as you said, Frazier wasn't on the list. And just to throw another idea is like, how far up would the two thirds get? Or what if we added our, our second third to our second round pick? How far up could we get on that? Way more than you can answer. I understand. Take what you like. And I love you guys. <laughs> Thanks for the question, Dan. Um, I'm not really sure where to start there. Um, I guess maybe we'll I'm, be off. Go ahead. <laughs> we, we are at a point. We are at a point with Dan. <laughs> that I followed his logic, his, his his school of thought. I followed every single transition <laughs> for you. from topic to topic. That was a that was a very thoroughly entertaining, and it's about ten different topics there to right. cover everything from. Do we have to worry about other teams stealing our developmental players? I think that's just a constant. To, I think the main question here, uh, or that is going to entertain people, is. What's the value? Like, would you rather have corner four as opposed to OL seven? Right. I think that's essentially what he's getting at. And so for me, it's one of these classes where there are so many offensive linemen that OL seven might be better than corner four. Like that's Mm -hmm. just the depth of, of the offensive line this year. So, I'm. I. It's. It's. I know. Like. It's easy to look at it and be like, well, four is higher than seven, so take the guy that's four. But it's. It's not going to be like that, right? Like, there's there are a handful of corners um, that are like considered like first rounders, and but and there's a lot more uh, offensive linemen that are. <clears throat> excuse me, that are considered first rounders. So you have to kind of compare. It's. It's not as apples to apples, right? Like. Um, 
there's still going to be some corners that they can get that are going to fit their scheme a little on, on day two, just like there's going to be offensive linemen that are going to, that are going to fit them on day two as well. So I don't think you have to like press and say, let me zig while, cause the rest of the league, while the rest of the league zags type of thing there, it's very possible that a guy like Zach Frazier, who, who Dan brought up and, and, and we talked about uh, Ryan brought up in, in the first segment, a guy like Zach Frazier is right on I think most people have him kind of like right on the fringe of end of the first round, early part of the second. And so he's not going to end up in a lot of mock drafts because of that. One, because I think mock drafters are still learning about offensive line and offensive line is really hard to evaluate. And so, but a guy like Zach Frazier from a mentality, from a culture standpoint is going to fit the Lions so well, I could absolutely see them take him at the end of the first round. You know what I mean? So Zach Frazier might be on the consensus draft board, OL7 or OL9 or whatever. But for the Lions, he might be better than any other corner that is available at, at that time as well. So I, I don't think we can apples to apples it as, as much as we want. I, I think you're going to have to look at each player and say, how do they fit and 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 what's their mentality? And I think Brad keeps us in the dark purposely so that we don't exactly know where to go. And, and, and I don't think that it's anything that we should be like new to is this idea that it, it, it's what you said, Eric, when you said, hey, I, I mean, there might, there might be four or five corners with first round grades. Well, how many of them have a first round grade from Brad Holmes? Because I feel like that that's what last draft taught us is like, hey, there might be four or five guys with first round grades, according to draft Knicks, but there might be one guy who is, you know, Brad Holmes, a first round cornerback, you know what I mean? And, and if that guy's not there, I don't see, I don't see him compromising his strategy to, you know what I mean? And I think that speaks to your, your, your larger overall point, right? Is like, you're not going to reach for like, okay, we didn't have a first round grade on this cornerback. So we'll move to him, even though we have an interior offensive lineman that's technically ahead of him on the board. Cause we have him as a first rounder. Brad Holmes will take the interior offensive lineman with the first round grade, right? Like, yeah, I, I, think, I think, I think Brad sticks to that plan. Yeah, it, it's it's not going to be a case of where, you know, positional need necessarily comes in because to me, like an outside corner is probably more valuable than a guard, especially Absolutely, with a, right? a, a yeah. first round pick. Um, but if Brad Holmes really, really likes the guard, he's he's going to throw that kind of thinking to the wayside. Now, at the same time, Eric points this out all the time. Brad Holmes knows the board. And so if he thinks there's a guard that he can get in the third round, he might put off getting one in the first round because maybe that's how he thinks the, the board will fall. And in, in the same way, kind of what, what Dan was talking about, like if there is a scarcity of corners in this draft, he might go corner a little bit earlier than, than some people would expect because he knows there isn't, you know, the Amon Ross St. Brown of cornerbacks waiting in the fourth round for him. So I think, I think in that sense, it, it does play in to, to what, you know, what the lines might do. They, they might get a corner just because of the scarcity in it. But at the same time, he's not going to, pick a guy just because that's the last corner left. He has to really, really like that guy. Sure. Yeah. That to, uh, to, to that point too, though, and it, it's just a product of the, the way that the NFL offseason is structured though, right? Like we're having this conversation before free agency happens. Like, I think that we all full and well expect that these two positions that we keep on coming back to cornerback and interior offensive line, like the lions currently have two impending holes at both their guard spots. They need an outside corner. 
the calculus to all of this draft strategy is going to change drastically a month from now. You know, like the, you know, figuring out what the Lions are going to do in the draft. Like it's going to change a lot depending on what happens in March, Eric. Yeah, a hundred percent. I want to, um, unless you, unless you guys want to add on that, I want to go back to one other point uh, or yeah, topic no, go ahead. that Dan, that Dan uh, is, is the, uh, the idea of um, the GM kind of like yeah. coach, the, 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 like the front, front office, office tree, GM right? Tree. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like, just to clarify for, for the listeners, um, two years ago, the Cardinals hired Dave Sears, who was the Lions uh, director of college scouting. They hired him to be their assistant GM. And then uh, subsequently, some of the guys – so Sears was part of the Lions evaluation team. He was overseeing the college guys. So it's no surprise that the guys that the Lions targeted with some of their UDFA contracts – are in the same boat as the guys that Arizona liked. They just and and so when Detroit ended up cutting some of those UDFAs, it's not a surprise they ended up in Arizona because Dave Sears was essentially running that same show. So he had those same guys kind of in mind. So now that Lance Newmark has moved to Washington and Lance Newmark was part of this year's draft prep, will we see a similar thing where Washington could now end up targeting some guys, some of the Lions castoffs? And it's absolutely uh, possible that that can happen. But the thing is, is I don't think we need to worry ourselves with it too much uh, because as you build a team that is successful, there are going to be players that fall off the bottom that are going to latch onto other teams. If they happen to latch onto to Arizona and Washington because they have front office that used to be in with Detroit, that's great. I still th- like those teams are behind Detroit in the in their developmental process, right? And so they're you know they're they have a lot more work to do. So if they want to take those guys that 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 aren't able to stick, then that's you know more power to them. There's, the Lions are still going to have this philosophy of keeping the guys that they are absolutely in love with and just holding on to them. Look at look at Gilmore, right? Gilmore, I think, played one game, uh, yet he was on the roster and inactive every week because they like what they saw in him. They didn't want to risk losing him. Nowoski was like that too. They didn't want to risk losing Nowoski. The problem is, is that they had four, uh, six other linebackers they liked better. And then they couldn't find a way to keep seven because of, um, you know, roster logistics. So they're going to lose guys. That's just part of being a good team. Um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if they do end up in, in Arizona and Washington over the next couple of years, but I, I don't think that's going to change how Detroit functions. Yeah. You, you kind of nailed everything I was going to add there. Um, because yeah, like the, I think Lions fans are going to have to get over this, this concern because I think in the past it was, it was different, right? They were losing players. There was always kind of the, the local joke that, oh, as soon as the Lions cut a player, like they're going to be a superstar with the Patriots or they're going to be a superstar with that. And like, that's not really what we're talking about here. Like Nawaski's probably going to be a really good special teamer his entire career. We're not, we're not talking about a, a future Pro Bowl linebacker. Starling Thomas, I know he played a bunch in, in, in Arizona this year. Is he going to be a starting level corner in this league? I don't know. Maybe, probably not. Um, and so if you're losing those kind of guys, those UDFAs, like 
it sucks because you fall in love with them in the draft process. You think the Lions got a, an absolute steal. Um, they'll, they'll have a place like like you said with with a guy like Gilmore that that, that they'll use to develop, but they're they're not going to have a ton of those spots, and so um, it's it's just kind of the the nature of the business. It makes you wish that they that the NFL increase their roster size, which I think is super long overdue. Um, yes. because I don't know, like just, I don't, I don't love the process that you can poach players off of a practice squad. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, it makes sense to the players. And, and I guess maybe the idea there is like, there's this, there's this well of talent and there's these well of players that aren't getting the opportunity to play and they could somewhere else. And, and we've talked a lot about how mu- how important it is for players as a development to actually go out there and, and, and get on the field and, if you're holding a Starling Thomas and Stephen Gilmore on your roster for two years and they never get on the field, they're not going to develop in the same way that the Arizona Cardinals could develop them, say. Um, but at the same time, I mean, maybe you, you get more of an opportunity to play those players, develop them. If, if you hit, if, if, I mean, the fact that when a team suffers an injury, a lot of times they're not even going to their practice squad. They're picking someone else off of free agency or they're, they're trading for players shows that like, if maybe these rosters were just a little bit deeper, they could just use their own guys. Yeah, I no, think that's that's, that's the solution. Go ahead, Dan. Sorry, I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'm sorry, crypto. Afterwards, I mean, I uh, I did pretty well keeping it all together, but there's this aspect, almost like when you think about Aline McNeil. Uh, I, I'm I'm a terrible po- poker player. Like I can win a couple of hands because they don't know me, but then you know me pretty quickly and you just take all of my money. And I'm meant to be going to do that tonight. But like, there's this aspect where Aline McNeil, we got him because the Philadelphia Eagles got cheeky, went back a few spots, and then haha. But but we, we know more about Brad now. And I guess the second part of that question, because I agree with you about the sort of developmental projects, is that like what we did to Green Bay when we snuck up and got Brian Branch. You know what I mean? Like I'm just a little bit like, and we obviously know how to pivot because we had to from De- uh, Devon Witherspoon last year, but there's an aspect where where people understand us a bit more and say, I'm going to go up four spots. And I'm going to take that guy that I know that you like because they know them more. Does, it, does that make sense? But I, I'm going to disconnect now, but I just want to add that. Yeah, no, I mean, that's it's, it's a fair thing to wonder. I mean, the Lions, Brad Holmes has always been a pretty uh, transparent guy and, I think I think we all know like the culture fits and how important that is to to what the Lions do. So yeah, there isn't there the Lions aren't going to operate in, in complete secrecy, and I think most teams really don't. I, but but I guess the question here is: Are the Lions now more predictable than the average team? It's, it's, it's a hard question to answer, but I, I mean, it might be yes. Well, here's here's the dilemma that we run into every year when we're trying to evaluate these guys: is the only way that we can figure out if the player fits is to try and learn as much about the player beyond what they actually do on the football field. And so if another team wants to figure out is a, is this a Lions type player, they're going to have to do that same homework, right? Like they're going to have to interview these guys. They're going to have to ask these guys questions. They're going to have to like, and, and so maybe that's easier for Arizona and, and Washington, but I think there's a ton of, of uh, teams out there that are going to think they know what Brad Holmes is going to do, but maybe don't know exactly what they're going to do because I think Brad's a bit unpredictable and as the needs of the team change I think he is going to change with that as well you know we might not see Brad looking at guys that can contribute immediately this year because he might be looking for developmental guys because of the uh, talent elsewhere or maybe he sticks with that same philosophy and says 
we're at a spot where we are in a Super Bowl window, and so we need to win now. So we need guys that can can contribute immediately, and he stays with that philosophy. We just don't know. Like I, I think Brad is a bit unpredictable in that way, and I and that's part of you know what I think is going to be confusing to other teams. But at the same time, he understands the board very well, and so that's what makes him so good at it. So I, I don't know. I don't know if. I think you know every year, Brad. We're going to learn more about Brad, and he's going to be. He should become a little bit more predictable in theory. But I don't know if if we're at that point yet. You know what I mean? Like I don't know if we're at a point where we know Brad's probably going to go this route because he still seems pretty unpredictable to me. Yeah, it, it's the prospects that are predictable. Like as soon as you draft a guy, like oh yeah, he's a Dan Campbell guy. He's a gritty guy. But I guess in terms of predicting what position they're going to pick, in terms of predicting what order they have certain guys, that stuff is, is always going to be a little bit different because I think, I think Brad has shown that he values certain players higher, way higher, way lower than, than other people. And I think Broderick Martin is kind of the perfect example of like, Oh, people probably didn't expect him to go that early. And certainly most draft experts didn't. Um, but like in terms of like the culture fit. Yeah. Totally made sense. So I think that's where the the secrecy, maybe the the surprise, might still come in with him. But like you said, like yeah, the teams that that have mined in in Detroit before, they're they're going to have a little bit of extra info on on what the Lions are going to do. And the Lions have navigated that before, and and every team has to navigate that before, right? Like there's there's guys change all the time from from one team to another in terms of front office positions, and you just deal with it for a year or two, um, and 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 you know, you come out all right. So, all right, let's move to our next. All right, let's move to our next caller. MNUFC has been waiting. Let's bring them aboard. All right, you are with us. How's it going, MNUFC? Hey, guys, how's it going? Good, how are you? I'm doing good. Uh, So, uh, kind of following up on Dan talking about people getting poached, but more back on the philosophy of uh, Brad Holmes and how, He's been more patient than uh, most of the GMs in terms of his own draft picks, like we've seen mostly this year uh, come to fruition, about waiting on players, letting them develop. Um, but as the you know team gets better, uh, everything, everyone is getting better, can he afford to be that patient? Um, and then what would he? What do you think he might do in place of that? Or are we just going to have to start getting used to losing some guys that may end up showing up showing out in better places you know still a testament to how well he can draft but maybe we don't have the ability to wait on them as long as they have we have here and now yeah it's it's a a good question because yeah like we were just saying roster spots are are limited here and um, as more talent comes in both via free agency and, and maybe higher draft picks some of those developmental guys might not ever get their opportunity here um it's is is that is that a concern is that how you think it's going to play out? Um, we'll start with you, Ryan. I, I think our conversation about Zach Zinter is one that kind of answers this question for me, right? Like, like, do the Lions have the opportunity or ability to first, like, stash players at places where they, they have needs? Um, it, but but it, it, it all takes the the entire roster construction in mind, right? Like, yeah, the Lions have a couple of guys that they have counted on in, in tough spots, like, you know, Coyote um, and, and also Colby, right? Like, uh, we went into last season hoping that those guys wouldn't have to see the field because the Lions had Vitae, because the Lions had, you know, Graham and, and, and Jonah. 
you, you start to wonder though, like when you have these pressing needs, can, can they, can they draft guys like a Broderick Martin, right? Like in the third round where, okay. I mean, even going into last off season, like we would have said the defensive tackle was a position of need, right? Like, yeah, the Lions had bugs, but it felt like we all learned that, Hey, we want bugs on a bit of a pitch count. And I think that the Lions want bugs on more of a pitch count because, you know, they need to cycle in more guys. And I, I, I just, I, I thought the Zach Zinter conversation was so interesting because you start to wonder in the draft, how long-term of projects can the Lions afford to draft? Because I think that's the understanding we're all at is that the roster is just better, right? And, and with so many people talking about how good the 2023 class was, like, I don't think that affords you the opportunity to just, okay, now we can kind of sit back and, and we can and we can draft very, you know, long-term guys or or we can afford to do, you know, this and that. I, I think this is a, I think this is a draft class that like Brad has four picks in the top 100, I think he's going to be aggressive. Like I, I think I would, I think I might be shocked if, if Brad uses all four of those picks and this is a conversation we had last year, but I think I would be shocked if Brad used all four of those draft picks as they are, as they stand today. Um, I think, I think there's going to be something to this draft class that if the lions can stack another class, maybe not as good as 2023. Cause I think we're a bit spoiled, right? Like the, the hit rate seems very high. Um, for, for the way that those rookies contributed and, you know, and Sam and Jameer and, and Brian and, and, and the way that, you know, Jack came on later in the, in the season, if the Lions can have another draft where they get two, maybe, maybe three, if they get, if they get a draft where they get two high impact players, maybe now they're in a position where they can go a little bit long-term um, in, in terms of their draft, you know, prospects and profiles. I, I just, they need to shore up things before they take that long-term approach at certain spots is, is, is where I'm at with it. What do you think, Eric? I agree with that. I just think that the idea of drafting guys that are, that may take a couple of years to develop is always going to be part of the Holmes philosophy, right? It's it, we've seen it from from year one. He spent a third rounder on Melifonmu, who didn't come into his own until year three. Derek Barnes yep. spent a fourth rounder, didn't come into his own until year three, essentially. Um, Amon Ra was much faster, right? Um, Aleem was much faster, but even like. The draft after that, I think when they drafted Kirby, they weren't expecting Kirby to come on, and then he he ended up having to being forced into the action, and then thrived. Right. Um, this an year, interesting note. An interesting note, real quick about all those guys. Mm-hmm. Third third rounder later, though, right? Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, and yeah. so that's when I'm when I'm looking at this draft. I agree with you that if they can hit their first two picks, that are guys that can contribute. That might be the end of the road. And the rest of the guys might be, hey, we're drafting for 2025 and 2026 type contributions. So the free th- this is why it's so important to have the money in free agency, right? Like you've got to be able to extend the guys that you have to keep your philosophy going. You have to be able to fill the holes that you think are more immediate because you're probably you might walk out of this draft with two guys that that can maybe help you, and the rest might all be long-term developments. Now there's a deep class at a couple of positions of need, specifically interior offensive line. So if they wait till the third round to draft a guard, they might that guy might end up starting for him. But if you look at the last drafts that that Holmes has done, 
he's taking developmental guys beyond pick 50. You know what I mean? If you're picked beyond 50, you might, there's no guarantee that you're going to contribute. And honestly, it might be beyond 40 because like Levi was picked in the forties. Pascal was picked in the forties. Neither one of those guys are starters, right? Like they're developmental guys. You only want branch was picked in the forties, but in, 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 and he was brought in with this idea that it was going to take him a little bit of time. And again, he's just is fantastic. And so he jumped the, he jumped the line. So it may be, they maybe we're even saying too much. Maybe it's one guy. Maybe that one guy is uh, is going to be expected to contribute, and everyone else is going to be, you know, hopeful that they can contribute. I I think this idea of being able to develop guys is uh, is going to be a philosophy that he sticks with. In, in fact, it might kind of be necessary, right? Like there just might not be spots to draft guys that, yeah. that are going to contribute immediately, and I think. I think a lot of people misinterpret what the Lions did last year as like they saw their window open, so they just wanted to get a bunch of guys that are going to contribute in year one. Um, yeah. I don't think that's what the the plan was. Like like you said, Brian Branch was the plan. The plan was not to start Brian Branch right away. Maybe not even at all in his rookie season, but it worked out that way um, because he was so good. Because they had and and you know that pushed Tracy off the the lineup and everything. Um, and so as as the roster continues to get better, as they get a little bit more aggressive in free agency they're going to have to look at guys and be like, okay, well, there's not a spot for him in year one, but we are drafting for 2025, for 2026, for 2027. Like that's just, that's the approach that they they need to take in my opinion. I, I think, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I think a, in, in a lot of ways, they're going to benefit from that, having these young guys learn for a year, sit for a year. Green Bay does it with their quarterbacks. You can do it with every position on the roster and I think turn out better for it because I mean, when you talk to some of these rookies and then you talk to them next year and and they're just like, oh, my gosh, like I can finally like relax and focus on football because all of the other stuff, the learning where to go, the learning where to be, the learning the, the, the weekly schedule of the NFL compared to a lot of that takes up their mental spot and they're just overwhelmed in year one. And so to just take the, like not have to use them on the field while they're going all through that and then year two and year three, that's when they hit the field and start making contributions like. That's that's a beneficial way to develop players, in my opinion. Again, there's there's nothing wrong with being on the field, and, and like I said earlier in this podcast, like there's nothing like actual experience. But when it comes in particular to those rookie seasons, I think a lot of players in this league, if not most of them, would actually benefit from a year of just seeing how the NFL works. And two, two quick things: one to that, like I, like Derek Barnes and Jack Campbell, right? Like we we talked about how Derek was a fourth round pick. The Lions still draft Jack in the first round of 18. And and I, I think we had some assumptions that like, oh, like Jack's just going to displace Derek and they're going to figure out a way to, you know, work, I guess, Anzalone and him together. Like, no, that, that didn't end up being the case. It was a guy who was a fourth round draft pick in 2021 that took a couple of years and like followed the path that both you guys are laying out. Like that, like, I, I think that is maybe like the most obvious case of where, draft stash and develop I, I mean on this roster uh, of of maybe any player in, in terms of how how that progression happened and Derek Barnes is still getting a ton of snaps I, I think the one other interesting thing to consider is we're talking about players right like if the Lions are drafting guys in the third or the fourth round or maybe even the second round that they view as hey this guy we can get a contingency plan and for agency we can bring this guy along slowly what about not viewing it as a prospect that the Lions draft? But I think the one thing that we keep, I, I keep hearing, Eric, is, 
oh, you know, Brad Holmes doesn't have that treasure trove of draft picks anymore. He doesn't have two first-round picks to play with anymore. Like, what's to say that that's going to prevent Brad Holmes from maybe trading out of 29 to get future draft capital? You know what I mean? To, to keep that war chest stocked with draft picks to maintain that flexibility. So instead of thinking of, hey, these guys are going to turn into prospects that the Lions are going to keep on their roster, maybe they're prospects that are future draft capital. I think that's an interesting thing to think about. The last thing I want to add um, on this topic is that I, I, I think we need to be very uh, ex- open to the idea that Brad could also draft two guys from the same spot um, because of that long-term need, right? Um, if they took like Zach Frazier in the first round and then came back and took Zach Zinter in the third round, that wouldn't surprise me at all because – Zinter has an injury. He's maybe needs more time to develop. He could also be a long term. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so like, and he's double dipped before, right? Like he's like, he double dipped at defensive tackle in in his first draft with uh, Levi and then Aleem. And so this idea that, you know, Oh, I got, he got the guard and he's done. I don't think is going to apply. He, everything's going to be on the table and, He's once you get past that, you know, first round, maybe past that second round, we need to start looking at that those that 2025 roster probably. All right, appreciate the question, MNUFC. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for everything you guys do. Of course, appreciate it. Um, all right, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to close things out. More of your questions. We'll get to some via Twitter. We'll get to some callers when we come back here. You know what? I've accepted it. When we come back on the main show, we'll be right back. Mainline, I got it wrong. Crap. Mainline, we'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And welcome back to the main line. Going to get it right one of these days uh, where we answer your questions here live on Twitter Spaces. Uh, Let's bring on our next caller. Uh, Vince B has been waiting. Vince, welcome to the show, man. Make sure you're unmuted. Oh, can you hear me okay now? Yep, you're good. 
Okay, great. You know, thanks for taking the time and doing the, uh, doing these shows. Really appreciate it. Of course. Um, you know, I joined a bit later in the show, so if this question was already touched on, you know, feel free to disregard. Uh, to disregard. But my question is actually on Aleem, and I know we've talked about him, um, or you've talked about him a, a good amount this morning. Um, but I know he's got one year left, and we spent a lot of time talking about extensions for Goff uh, and for St. Brown. Um, and my question is, I guess, why we're maybe not talking about extending Aleem now, considering you know he's a really good player. Maybe he's not the dominant pass rusher we would like, but that also would be reflected uh, in his price point right now. And for me, I'd rather do it now uh, as opposed to waiting a year. Maybe he plays really well, and then we're in the situation of a potential tag when we have to extend um, Sewell next year. So I guess, you know, what are your thoughts on hopefully maybe getting Goff, St. Brown, and Aleem done? You know, this offseason, is that realistic? And considering the fact the cap just went up, I think that, you know, adds some flexibility to um, perhaps an extension there as well. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a totally fair question. And, and I am kind of curious myself as to what the Lions are thinking there because, you know, it, it, he's gotten better year after year after year. And and I think you, you make a good point there. Like if, if he continues on this trajectory, maybe he starts to be in the conversation of a top 10 defensive tackle by the end of next year. And suddenly his price goes way, way up. So I'm cur- kind of curious what the panel thinks here. I'll start with you, Eric. Is, do you think maybe this is the perfect time to, to get an Aline McNeil extension done? I'm certainly open to it. Um, I don't know. Um, I think there's a track record that, that, that they have to take into consideration. I don't, I, I think as far as prioritizing a lean as for an extension, he's probably not at the, uh, you know, at the top, I think you're, you're looking at probably golf and then St. Brown, you have time with Sewell because of that fifth year extension where you probably don't need to do a, an extension this year, or he would be number one for me. But I think you can, you can look at the lean, maybe third in, in, in that, right. You're not, you're not as not feeling as pressed as you are for the, for those other two guys. Um, at the same time, it's hard for me to tell what the market is for him because he did have a sensational year. But the first two years, he was he looked like an ascending player, and so I get the idea that Vince is bringing up of getting him extending him now before the price really goes up. But at the same time, do we know for sure that <clears throat> excuse me that he's going to be able to maintain like top fifteen, top ten level defensive tackle play? Like I'm not, I'm I'm kind of you know. I'm I'm unsure. I believe in Aleem. I think I've I've loved him since day one. But is he a top fifteen player, or is he a player that's going to be a little bit more up and down? What's the and and then what's the valuation on that? Is he going to be worth um, fifteen million dollars a year, like that some of the big name defensive tackles are getting right now, or is he more in the you know? $12 million, $10, $12 million range. And if he is, is he willing to accept that deal when he thinks, okay, I can probably, if I keep playing it at the pace I am, can I get a bigger contract down the road? And maybe he will want to wait and prove himself a little bit more because he might get a bigger jump. So it's a hard question. Um, and I think there's a little bit more unknown. I think like with golf, you know, you got to get the extension with St. Brown, you know, you got to get, the, you got to pay the guy. Like you just have to. Um, but with the lean, there's a little bit more, there's a few more question marks that I think I don't know the answer to that. I think Brad Holmes has to figure out before we know if an Aleem deal is going to get done or not. 
What are you thinking, Ryan? Aleem is a, is a tough guy to, to nail down. I mean, we were just talking a little bit how there's been a little bit of inconsistencies about how they've been throwing him between nose and, and, and the three tech. Would you be comfortable giving him, you know, an extension north of, of 10 million, maybe north of, of 15 million? I think I would. Like, guys, I really feel like Aleem McNeil is like still the best kept secret in Detroit as far as their defense goes. Like, beyond Aiden Hutchinson, right? Like, there's this there's this huge gap in between like any other player's ability to generate pressure that isn't, you know, augmented by like a blitz or something. Right. Like I, I think Aleem gets so much attention along the interior as well. Right. Like the, the guy who was second in pressures last year on the Lions defense was Aleem McNeil and he missed four games, you know, like, and yeah, I don't put a ton of stock into PFF grades, so to speak, but, um, you know, among, among defensive interiors, like Aleem was 22nd in the NFL and who, who was playing next to him all year long? You know what I mean? Like it, it, it was, and, and I think that also kind of speaks to, you know, Aaron Glenn, you know, just being a much better defensive coordinator than I think people give him credit for. But I, I truly think like investing along the interior of that defensive line would do, I mean, wonders for Aleem McNeil, right? It, and at large, it would do wonders for the Detroit Lions as a defense just because I think that he is I, I think he's your second most important player on that defense right now um maybe that speaks to the lack of corner depth that we've been talking about all show but I think Aleem is truly like one of the best kept secrets in the league and it but like people keep mentioning that at the beginning of the year and then they forget about Aleem McNeil like he, st- he he was one of the best run defenders in the NFL like and, and the Lions are going to pay a premium for that because that's their identity. Like they believe in that stuff. They're not going to stray from who they are. Aleem is their guy. Like I, I, I fully expect them and I hope that they recognize that. And I hope that they pay him. Like I, I don't want him to be one of those guys that, well, he's really good, but the price tag is just a little bit too much. I, so, I don't think Aleem is one of those guys. I think he's a difference maker. All right. I, I agree with you. So I want, I have a question for both of you guys. Um, Looking back at our uh, 90-man roster rankings from the last two years, um, a, a year ago, Aleem ranked 15. Uh, as he was, we considered him the 15th best player on the roster. This past year, he jumped up to 11. But of all the staff rankings, no one had him higher than nine. I personally had him at 11, and, and that's where he ended, he ended up in the consensus at 11. Where would we put him now? And then, you know, is he a top seven player on this team? Is he, is he like, how high would we put him? I think that's what we have to answer. And if we, if we say, Hey, he's in the, he's a top five player on this team. I'm with you. You can pay him $15 million if he's a top five player. If you think he's below a top five player, I don't know. So that's the question that I have for you guys is, is Aleem a top five, a top seven, a top 10 player on this team? It's tough to answer because they are so, they're so loaded on offense, right? Like Panay, Amon Ra, Frank, Taylor, Jared, like all Mm -hmm. these guys are, are probably better than Aleem, but at some point you have to invest in your defense too, right? Like you, you have to, there has to be some sort of balance where, Yes, I would prefer this team to spend more on offense than they, do, than they do on defense because I think that's how you win in the NFL. Um, but you have to maintain your best players on defense, particularly when you don't have a lot of talent on your defense. And so 
I, I'm with Ryan. Like he's probably in the conversation for your second best defender. I would I would argue Brian Branch is probably close to that conversation as well right now. Um, Kirby I, maybe even as well. I, look, I'm I'm with you that Aleem might be the second best defender on this team. I'm just looking from a how much can you pay a player standpoint, right? Right. Because I agree, Goff, Ragnow, Sewell, Hutchinson. Those four guys, I think we'll all agree, are all better, right? And and I think you can argue Decker's probably better than him as well. But if you're paying those five or six guys double-digit million dollars, can you pay your seventh guy $15 million? Like That's, I think, the question that we kind of sure. have to figure out is – because I, I would entertain the the an argument if someone said I think he's more he's a he's a higher he's of more importance than maybe Taylor Decker like I'd entertain that because we factor in age is. and stuff like okay and, and so yeah. if he's if he's if he, he's more important than Taylor Decker then you're saying he's a top five and then I absolutely agree if from your full if from your point if you're saying he's top five then he's worth fifteen you know what I mean but yeah. if he's at seven. You're probably wanting to spend closer to twelve on a guy like that. I, I think. I, go ahead, Jeremy. No, no, no. Finish your point. I, I was going to shift the conversation a little bit. Okay. Well, I, I think the last thing I want to say about Aleem is that they value him so much, and, and it goes back to our conversation we had about you know drafting Broderick Martin. Okay, like they probably view Aleem best suited in that three tech role. I'm, I'm, I'm just opining openly. Like openly, I'm wondering. You look at this roster, the the way that the defensive interior depth absolutely falls off a cliff. Guys, Ali McNeil got put on IR. They did not turn to someone in house. They went and got Tyson Alu Alu. You know what I mean? Like if if you were to move on from Ali McNeil, I'm saying like what what has Brad Holmes done in the draft for defensive linemen, especially interior guys that like, you know, I guess inspires a lot of confidence. Like, but I, but I also Le, I, Levi was in, you know Levi was an injury. Josh Pass, you know Josh has you know taken a, a, a lot to get going. I mean the two picks that he's nailed have been Aline and Aiden, and Aiden right. fell into his lap. But I, I mean I would also argue, and, and the, no disrespect to Aline, meant like how big of a drop off was the defense when he was gone? Because it didn't seem all that noticeable. Like. They were still a really good run defense during that four-game stretch. They were hanging in all of those games, and and most of the issues were the same issues that, that they were having all season, which is in the secondary. They actually got a lot of pressure. Now, granted, they changed their strategy down the stretch a little bit when Aleem was gone, right? Like, that's when Iffy came on and, and all yeah, that sort of stuff. But, yeah. but, like, they didn't really take a noticeable step back, did they? Okay, but, but isn't there a marriage between pass rush and... Yes, and, of course, and and, that, and, and, and coverage. Yes. That, that's my thing, right? Like, you, yeah. you lose a lean in the middle. Maybe that's why you know, you know, Cam Sutton is in hell, and Kendall, <laughs> you know, Kendall right. is in hell for four weeks, right? Because you don't sure. have that middle push. There's no one else on this roster who does that right now. True. No, yeah, I, I completely agree. Because if you look at the games he was missing, two Vikings games and Dallas games, those are the games where they threw for the teams threw for 400 plus yards on them, right? Like the, 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 that continued through Nick, the playoffs, though. No, I understand, but I'm you know, I'm I'm I, I, I agree. What they had to do is they shift their philosophy to add more guys up front because they didn't have right. a lean out there, and that more guys up front left their back end on an island. And that's why they got gashed the way that they did. I do agree with you, Jeremy, though, that the, that the run defense didn't fall off, but I guess. 
again, I think that's that was more of a that's more of a philosophy, and then just yeah. adding a bulk of talent. But it's an interesting conversation to have uh, throughout this offseason for sure. The the other thing I want to get to, and Vince kind of talked about a little bit. Sorry, Vince. Um, is is the fact that the cap went up, right, and how much that impacts what the Lions are going to do this offseason? Because I think I think that's kind of an interesting part of of the cap going up is now how many teams are going to take care of their own and not even let them see free agency. Um, does it not only affect the ability to, to sign guys internally, but does it maybe impact the structure of these contracts? Do they maybe front load some of these things a little bit more than, than they normally would? Um, because yeah, as we see in the NFL, like teams know that the cap is going to continue to go up. So they backload contracts so that the percentage of their cap hit stays relatively stable uh, year to year. But now that it took a, you know, I think someone had shown the, the percentage jump. Um, this was like a top five percentage jump in salary cap from one year to the next. Does that, and, and given that the Lions have, you know, whatever, 55 million or whatever estimate you want to throw out there, does that make them a little bit more eager to, to get it done, get, get a deal done for Aleem, and despite the fact that he's whatever, third or fourth on the priority re-signing list? Um, do you think that changes anything about Aleem McNeil or the structure of a, of a potential deal? The, the only quick thing I want to say before Eric tackles this is that I, I think it makes sense now because where else is the cap going to go but up moving forward, right? Like you, you, get this, you get this bump now. I'm not saying spend it, go crazy, but I'm saying like if you're taking care of people in-house, why not get players locked up on deals right now in, in the here and now while that money is there and it could potentially keep on going up? Like I don't see it going down, Eric. No, it's not going down. It went up. The only year it dipped was the COVID year when they didn't have fans, right? And then th- the reason they bumped up the way they did this year was because the they finally paid those debts off, right? And so when they when they got those debts paid off uh, last year and they were able to get back to the growth that they normally would have, that's why they exploded the way they are because the NFL is not slowing down. I don't care – who you listen to or, or, or what you like, this is a huge business that is not dying. It, 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 I mean, it's, it's expanding at a rate that's like more than I think what anyone thought, because like 12 years ago, the cap was half less than half what it is now, just like 13 years, 12, 13 years ago. Now it's, it, and it was expanding at like $10 million a year, pretty consistently for like eight years. Now that it, it's expanding at like 20 million, 30 million, right? It expanded 20 million almost, or it was like 16 million in a year that they were still paying debts off, right? Now that they're paying, now that they have paid those debts off, they can, ex- and they, they expand 30 million because that's how much of a profit they're making. So for those who don't understand how the cap number, how the salary gets, uh, or the salary cap gets set, it's based on profits, right? So what they, they have the algorithm that they use that says based on profits, uh, that the league takes as a whole, this percentage goes to this and this percentage goes to this. And then, and then they end up coming up with the number. So the reason it went up 30 million is because the league is making that much money. And the algorithm says you've made so much money that you have to have a bigger salary cap, which means you have to spend more on the players because uh, that's the negotiation that they came up with within the CBA. So as the NFL continues to expand and not slow down, that number is going to continue to grow. And as it continues to grow, teams know this, GMs know this, and I, I, I think they are going to continue to backload. And so their contracts. So uh, I agree with Jeremy that 
Brant Holmes's philosophy because of the way that they've that they've uh, approached this team is they're going to invest. This is giving them an opportunity to double down on on the guys they've already secured. Right? This is they're going this extra ten million that they maybe that you know us in the general public weren't expecting. We expected it to go up twenty. It went up thirty. That extra ten million, I think that's just going right back to in house. I, I don't think it's they're going to use that and say okay now let's go get a, a bigger name free agent. I think this would afford the Lions the opportunity to make uh, a Leem a higher paid player than um, than you know maybe what we're thinking right now because you can aff- you probably could have afforded to do golf you probably could have afforded to do um, St Brown you you could you're going to get your fifth year on, on Sewell now this extra money is what maybe gets the Leem deal done. Jeremy, do we know who we have to thank for the potential sustained success of the Detroit Lions? Who is that, Ryan? Is it Taylor Swift? <laughs> Stop it. I, I, don't don't hide from it. Don't run nope. from it. Just embrace Ryan it. Ryan nailed it. Ryan nailed it. <laughs> what, I mean, like the league's getting popular. For what reason? Because oh, yeah. football has always because of gambling. That I mean, gambling there. probably okay. has right. way more right. to do with yep. it. Yep. Yep. There. You know what? Gambling and Taylor Swift. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, that's what that, those are. Welcome those to the, the new monkey, gridiron. Those are the monkey paws that had to curl in order for the Lions to become <laughs> successful. Successful franchise. Well, they haven't done it yet, Ryan. Let's not let's not give them their flowers okay. until they actually become a sustained successful team. But listen, it certainly helps. But but someone, at the same time, clip like, that. Send it to Brad Holmes. Oh yeah, there we go. I'm on his receipt <laughs> list now. Crap. Uh, Vince, thanks for the question, man. Exactly. Um, all right, let's get to our next caller here. Zig has been waiting. Let's bring Zig aboard. Zig, what's going on? Yo, how's it going? Good, man. So I just wanted to more so um, have like a walk with me type of thing and see okay. if thing right. Sure. So it's been three drafts now, and uh, we've seen Brad Holmes um, be aggressive in all three, right? So to me, I think with the 29th pick, it's either interior O-line, whether um, JPJ, and I wasn't too privy to uh, Zach Mark, I mean Zach Frazier, until I did my research um, after I see him in the mock. So I like those two guys, whether if it is um, first round, I don't know if JPJ falls, but if he does, I think that's absolutely our guy. And then we have, well, in my opinion, I think we have four corners that um, are Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell type of guys. So Arnold, Mitchell, um, Ennis and TJ Tampa. I think all these guys are like plug and play fit into our system and what we're looking for bigger, um, press man kind of corners, right? So if these guys start to like the run on the corner, um, position starts to go, who's to say like we don't trade up to like let's say like maybe 20 or 21 to jump in front and get like a, a Mitchell or an Ennis if we worry about them falling. Like, what, what do you guys think about that? And then um, I just think corner is just something that Brad Holmes has tried to go after 
um, multiple times, like was it Jay Ramsey or Devin Witherspoon, like he's actively went and tried to get these guys that just didn't pan out. So a guy like Kendall Fuller or um, uh, I can't think of his name, he used to play for the Bengals. Um, uh, Chidobe. Yeah, Chidobe. Right. Yeah. yeah, right, right, right. I think those guys are like cheaper and um, a little bit more vet, you know, on the, on the veteran side that could come in and help along with like us drafting. Uh, let's just say, like, if we was to go interior O line in the first round and then we get a TJ Tampa or Kyrie Jackson or somebody like that in the later rounds. Um, that could come in and help. And what do you guys think about um, Van Ginkle from uh, Miami? Yeah, um, let, let's let's start with uh, the potential of a trade up because I think we I think we all kind of agreed with you on that kind of blueprint of the corner plan at least. Grab a veteran that that maybe only signed to a one or two year deal, then you know grab a corner at some point on day one or day two of dress. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, but yeah. Brad Holmes certainly is not afraid to trade up and, and get his guy. So if there is maybe a run on, on those corners, could you guys see a trade up? Because it certainly seems like he's he's been willing to do that in the past. And it's almost like, right, um, we when you look at our team, we have a, a guy in each position that's a young, whether whether mm-hmm. it's Jewel, whether it's Jameer Gibbs, whether it's St. Brown, whether it's Aleem McNeil, whether it's Hutch. Um, Kirby, Iffy, the only thing we're missing that, that that's a developmental piece is corner. So yep. it's no, like, it. I'm willing, like, I'm <laughs> just seeing the track record of Brad Holmes. It's like, it's either we're trading up to get his guy, like he's been doing in the past three drafts, or um, we go and draft a, 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 a guy we could develop along with um, getting that vet in there alongside Cam. Or, or, or he's trading back to get his guy, right? Like Devin Witherspoon goes off the board. I think all of us had the assumption, Eric, that that was plan A. Brad Holmes yeah. trades back, right? Like he doesn't double down and, and move up to try to, you know, make sure he gets Devin Witherspoon and jump ahead of the Seahawks. Like he, he, he adjusts and he moves back and he does it all on the fly. Um, so for me, uh, I think trade up is is the more likely scenario. I agree with you. Trade back is always going to be on the table because we saw that last year, right? I do think trade up because of where he's at is and and like Zig mentioned, like there's a couple of guys that would appeal to them. Uh, I was in a pre- the conference call with Daniel Jeremiah. He was exact asked this exact question: If would the Lions consider trading up for for one of the corners? And he essentially said, "There's three corners on his board that he would that he has ranked higher than pick 29 that he thinks fit, all fit with the Lions that he would that they would cons- that he believes they would consider trading up for." And it was Arnold Mitchell and uh, Enos Rakestraw, right? Like those are the three guys that we all have kind of like looked at right there and said, okay, these are guys that are probably first rounders. I think Rakestraw's going to be lower than those other two on a lot of teams boards. But with the Lions, I think he's probably going to be in that three spot with them. Arnold is probably a top half guy. You're probably going to pay. You're probably going to get to like 15 as opposed to 20. Mitchell, you might be able to get to 20. Rakestraw. You know, you, you probably you can in the, in the twenties where you can just maybe sit and get them where you're at. Would he consider trading up to get one of those guys? Yes, because I think they fit what they want. They, they're they're schematically 
good meshes. Mentality is is going to fit with the Lions and the um, we've seen Brad be aggressive. So I, I agree. Those are probably the the three guys that if he was trading up, those are the guys that that he would target. Um, I also agree that. They take an offensive lineman, a guy like TJ Tampa could be a, a second round target. Will he be there um, all the way back at pick 60 or whatever they have? Um, or would they have to trade up to maybe get him as well? I don't know. That's hard to tell. But yeah, that the, the adding a developmental corner with one of those first two picks make, makes a ton of sense uh, to me. And I do think you've kind of hit on the guys that, that seem to mesh with the team. Yeah, and I think we've kind of danced around it all show like this this team is in a position where um there's not that many pressing needs that if you want to spend one of those third round picks to to move up or it might cost both of them depending on which chart you're using um they can um it's not an ideal situation you know you don't want to give up too many future considerations especially considering how many times brad holmes has reminded us that that this isn't about a cinderella story that makes a one to two window one to two year window jump um they want to keep this thing up in the air for a while so you don't want to give away too many mid-round picks especially when that seems to have been brad holmes's specialty through three drafts so far but yeah i mean the 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 track record is what it is brad holmes is not going to be afraid to make sure he gets his guy and I'm not always in love with that strategy. I think I think it can get you in trouble, but given the talent evaluator that Brad Holmes has been so far, he hasn't had a lot of misses. Uh, I, I just tend to think that sort of thing doesn't last forever. Um, at some point, when you when you're super aggressive and you're trading away all this draft capital, um, one of these picks is, is going to not work in your favor. And you could maybe argue it kind of happened a little bit with JMO, but obviously, I'm not I'm not writing the end of the book on on his career. Um, but when when you get to where you are right now, I, I, I think you can afford to make this move a little bit more than maybe you could at the beginning of the rebuild, right? When you needed all the draft capital, when you needed to build that foundation of really, really young players. I just don't want them to stray too much from that because, if again, if you want to build a, a long-term thing here, you're going to have to continue to nail the draft. You're going to have to continue to have those resources and, and young players who are on cheap contracts so that you can afford to pay the guys that are the foundation of your team. So while I'll, I'll, I'll never like be a hundred percent on board with a trade up, I get why they're in a position to do it now. They just have to be careful. And in, in my opinion, to not rely on that too much to, to rely on their evaluation, their confidence in one particular player, rather than making sure that you have all the resources you need. And listen, Brad Holmes has, has done the opposite too. We, we just mentioned it last year. He traded down. He didn't get the guy that he wanted and he didn't panic. He said, okay, we'll just get more of the other guys that we wanted. We'll get Sam Laporta. We'll get Jameer Gibbs uh, instead of the one guy that we really wanted. And so he's shown the ability to do both. And I don't want to pretend like I know better than Brad Holmes or, or, or ring any alarm bells of, of his overall strategy. It just there is obviously a, a downside, a, a, a pretty significant risk if you're going to make a habit of trading up, that's all I wanted to point out. And, and don't paint, paint with too broad of strokes. Like don't say that you don't like trade ups because I know you're a fan of trading up for Broderick Martin. Maybe not for football reasons, but <laughs> trade it up yes. for Brian branch too. You know, don't sure. let, uh, you know, yeah. so uh, this is a, this is a debate that Jeremy and I have differed on for the last three years. Um, Jeremy, uh, 
I, I understand you, you like a more cautious approach. Um, I like a more aggressive approach. I like the idea that if you like a guy and you're convinced that that's the guy, I agree. You go up and get him. Whereas Jeremy says you're going to miss sometimes. So it's, you know, it's not worth the risk all the, to be aggressive all the time. And I, I get that. I just disagree. Like I am of the, the philosophy of have confidence in the decisions that you make and then be aggressive in going and executing those decisions. It's the same reason why I'd like Dan Campbell as much as I do, because he has the confidence to say, I'm going to be aggressive in this situation because I have confidence that I'm going to make the right decision. And then it's sometimes it's going to work out and sometimes it's not. And the same thing is going to be true with Brad. Um, I want him to be confident in his, in his decisions. I want him to target guys and I want him to be aggressive in either going to get them or putting your, in a, putting yourself in a situation to maximize those in a different way. He's going to miss. That's what happens. But his hit rate is higher than most. And and just like Dan Campbell's success rate on on fourth downs in those situations are higher than most. I I think the people are, are that the Lions have in place to make those decisions are the right people. I I back the aggressive approach a little bit more. I understand the trepidation if you don't, but for me, I'm all about it. Make have confidence in yourself, go get it. Mistakes happen, learn from it and go get it. To, to to justify my position a little more, it's not about like lacking confidence or being scared. No, no, I'm not saying mistake. that. If if I alluded but, to that, I apologize. That's no, no, no. But, no, I'm just I'm. But the other aspect of this is you can take advantage of other teams, right? Like if another team is overly sure. confident, you, you say the, the Lions' hit rate is is more than other teams. You're right, first of all, and that also means you can take advantage of a team that's like. Oh, I really need a quarterback or, you know, these, these teams that make the, the common mistakes that, that result in poor franchises is, you know, reaching for value and things like that. And, and like you said, Brad knows the board and he knows what other people think of the board. So if he can find a team that he's pretty sure is going to make a mistake or, or do something dumb, like why not increase your draft resources? Why not give yourself more bullets in the chamber so that you can hit on more players? Like, if, if we love Brad Holmes so much and we're so confident in what he can do, why not give him more resources? Why not play the board a little bit? And like I said, Brad has done that. He, he does mm. it multiple times a year. Um, so the, that, that to me is just like the value of trading down sometimes is, is not, is not like a passive approach. It, it's it, in a way it's almost aggressive because you give yourself more resources. The, the, I want, the counter I'm going to have to that is that outside of Broderick Martin, almost every time that Brad Holmes has traded up, he's always tried to add a equal amount of picks in the trade. I'm going to give you this higher pick um, and this medium pick for your high pick and then another one of your lower picks. Like he's always trying to acquire a certain amount of picks to, to maintain that level so that he does have that, that capital. That's part of his philosophy. So I, that's why other than Martin, he's almost always gotten a lower pick in return. And then he's with Martin. What he did was he accumulated a, a whole bunch of those lower picks and then used them to go up and get Martin. And that, and I think that was all part of the strategy that he had last year. So I think he's, all, <laughs> he's only had three, what, like three trade-ups. And so one third of them, he's lost a lot of resources on. Well, you're going to lose resources every time you trade up because you're trading well, yes, up for another player. But right. I'm saying he's he's still acquiring other picks 
is what I, is right. Well, no, every time, time. every time, every time he trades, he seems to be acquiring other picks. Like when he traded down, he's acquiring lower picks, and then he's using those picks to make a different move. Like we wrote an article on this, like about how his his trade back acquired him. You know, a mid round pick, but then like, and also a later round pick, and then he did another trade right. that acquired him another later round pick, and then he used those three later round picks to move up to get Martin, and so right. he's always, whenever he makes a trade, he's always trying to maximize his capital. Is, is what I'm saying. He's he's not just like, oh, we're just going to swap picks. I'm going to give you a third, and then we're going to call it a deal. He's always trying to get that little, those lower picks that are that most people think are throwaways, and then combine those throwaways to sure. to keep himself in the game. I mean, like, also, I mean, traded up to get Derek Barnes in the fourth round. Yes, that's that's also very true. And what did he do? He acquired a seventh round pick in that in that trade that ended up getting him Jefferson. And but you know, the, the pick didn't work. But uh, it was he, it was still two picks for two picks. That right, philosophy. right, yeah, right, yeah. Um, I, I, I think the the, the the only the the last thing that I want to say about this is, I think early on for me there was concerns about the aggressiveness because it was early on in the rebuild, right? Like in 2021, when it was like Brad Holmes might, you know, he, he's interested in trading up for Jamar chase. It's like, Oh, okay. We're just starting things here, Brad. Like, and, and uh, Jamar chase phenomenal player, but like, I, I think it, oh, it speaks to the question that we've had that's persisted throughout this tenure of Brad Holmes is like how, pliable like how how much is he going to change his strategy as as the rebuild you know turns into something that is more sustainable and 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 we've talked about it all show long like stashing players and developing players like i i think that there's just some something interesting to consider in how aggressive or not aggressive this draft shows like where brad thinks the team is yeah well i mean yeah it's a constantly evolving process. You have to change your strategies. Always changing, right? Yeah. And exactly. and also like we we also have to kind of look at Brett Holmes and be like, this is still we're still trying to figure out who he is and what he likes to do. Three drafts worth might seem like a lot, and by the standard of the NFL in terms of how quickly they, they overturn their GMs, maybe it is a lot, but it's still not a ton of a sample size to make sweeping generalizations of what he likes to do and what he doesn't like to do, right? Every every year, like oh. we, we talked about how much last year surprised so many people in terms of overall strategy, in terms of positions that he valued, in terms of you know all all the sort of things. And so we're we're still just trying to figure out who he is and and what he likes in terms of overall draft strategy. So I think I think for us to look into twenty twenty four and and even have a basic idea of what we what what he's going to do is setting ourselves up for failure. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, Eric, Eric had Bob Quinn pinned by year two. Like he was like, oh, like all these measurables, like that, like how, yeah, how, how are you, how are you true. doing on building that for Brad Holmes, Eric? Oh, it's terrible. Like, yeah, I, I, I'm, 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 we're going into year four, and I'm, I'm not anywhere near where I was. Yeah, it, it took one year to pick to figure Brad out or to figure um, Bob Quinn out, and uh, yeah, this is it, it's it's so hard to do because of the things that that Brad values and the. Um, and the ideology that he has that, that differs from the rest of the, uh, you know, rest of the league. Yeah. Hey, say what you want about Bob Quinn. Guy could draft offensive linemen. I'm just saying. It's true. He, that's that, the one good thing he did. 
That's that's the start and the end of the compliments that we'll give Bob Quinn on this podcast. Oh, easy, Jace Billingsley. <laughs> hey, NFL GMs are like diapers. They should be changed frequently and for the same reason. <laughs> Zig, I appreciate the question, man. Thanks for joining the show. Um, you know what? I, there, there's kind of a – I want to kind of keep this conversation going uh, as we kind of reach the end here um, because uh, Jaybird asked a question on Twitter that's kind of a lot like this. Um, and, and maybe it, we, we just admitted it was a little hard to answer a question like this. But he asked, other than football character element, what is – which is difficult to perceive from the outside looking in, which is a, a very good point. Uh, are there any char- traits or characteristics of a Holmes-Campbell-type player that we should watch among draft prospects? Um, like I said, some of that is, is is hard to find out because there hasn't necessarily been a straight line. But I think I think we can at least look at certain positions and be like, well, along the offensive line, they like guys who can move out in space because they they run pin pull type stuff, and and all the offensive linemen are, are seemingly always on the move. Um, you know, corners. I don't know. I think I think we tend to think they want big physical corners in terms of, so that, that that can play man. But we talked about it a little bit on the midweek mailbag, Eric, about how maybe they're shifting into into doing a little bit more zone. We we talked about how on the defensive line their priorities are constantly shifting. Um, so I don't know. Is is there a position and a trait that you think this regime values more than maybe other regimes? Well, they like speed at their skill positions, right? And so uh, that tends to be something that they, that they go and that they go after. Uh, at the same time, the route running uh, and the precision and stuff is what is really what takes the priority, right? Because you look at the look at the athletic build of all of their skill players; they're all like they all have really high high RAS scores, all eight and above, except for Amon Ra, who is like the most precise, you know, route runner, and he's the best skill player that they have, right? So. There's always going to be that that nuance to it. Just but from an athletic standpoint alone, they tend to prefer guys that are fast. Uh, I agree with you on the offensive line. They tend to draft guys that have you know higher than average um, uh, uh, RAS scores because of the movement, especially on the interior offensive line. And and linebacker is another one. Like they love athletic linebackers, which is like the exact opposite of what we saw from the last regime. Who all had like, you know, RAS scores of like two, right? All of the current Lions RAS scores at linebacker um, are above eight, right? Alex Anzalone's is above eight. Jack Campbell's is almost 10. Um, Derek Barnes is eight and a half. And Malcolm's is nine and a half. Like they're all really, really above average uh, linebackers. Uh, They all have above average athleticism. So like, they're, they have four linebackers. They're going to have six on the roster. If you're looking at the draft or if you're looking at free agency, look at who's an athlete. Look at who has a high Reyes score because those guys are, are typically, from an athletic standpoint, going to mesh. Now, obviously, there's more factors that go into it, but just from an athletic standpoint, like those are some that's those things stand out. Like the athleticism at certain positions needs to be real high. But like like you said, Jeremy, it's not like that at, at, at others. Like at corner. They don't have an athlete that has a RAS score above uh, six and a half, right? Like it's just they they haven't preferred to go after the athletic guys at corner, um, whereas in the secondary, the only guys that had an above average uh, RAS score was uh, Iffy, right? Iffy's kind of a freak. The other guys were all kind of in that six range, and so for whatever reason they haven't they've prioritized different things over athleticism with their secondary players and maybe that shifts as as things change but that's kind of what we've seen 
you know, so far is that there are certain positions they really, really want those elite athletes like linebacker, interior offensive line. Team captains. <laughs> oh, yeah, a ton. I, I, I mean, like, yeah, yeah that, that, sure. that, that's some that's some of the intangibility to it, though, right? Like, I, I think that's something that we underscore every year. But, like, that's something that we have easily identified as, like, football character means so much to this regime. Um, and, and it's but to your point, too, Eric, like, I, I don't think that it's football character comes at the expense of your ability to play ball. Like, it's just something that will put you higher on their board. You know what I mean? Like, you know, to talk about the players, right? I mean, Brian Branch, mm-hmm. right? Like, Brian yeah. Branch is higher on your board because his football character is extremely high. Like, and I, I think that speaks to the secondary stuff, too, right? Like, yeah, the one guy whose RAS score was higher was Iffy's, right? So, like, but we also know that it took three years with him to, to get right. where he needed exactly. to be. And, and whether that was injuries or, or, or whatnot, but like, it was a developmental pick. Um, and, yeah. and, and, and that's kind of, I don't know that I, I find that very interesting. Yeah. They prefer intelligence and schematic fits over athleticism in the secondary. All right. Uh, for those of you listening live here on Twitter spaces, we're going to hang around and do a little bit more, but if you're listening on the podcast, that's the show. Uh, if you want to join us next time, make sure you're following us on Twitter and look for these Twitter spaces to start around 9 a.m. Eastern on Saturdays. But until next time, for Eric, for Ryan, I'm Jeremy. Thank you all for listening. It's chaos. Be kind. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on home mom? No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower.